Go back into South Bend's history. 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, and what do you see? You see groups of people working to bring change to this city. They had different ideas of what that change should be. They didn't always agree. Yet, in every decade, there were groups of people for whom positive change was their life's work. This podcast, South Bend's Own Words, features the voices of people who helped make this city change. We'll share clips from the oral histories done by the Indiana University South Bend Civil Rights Heritage Center that tell a more complete history of the city. It's the story of many cultures, not just one. It's the story of South Bend. One of the most fundamental human needs is shelter. You can learn a lot about a city and a society's values by seeing how they decide who gets housed and where. From the 1910s through the 1950s, many thousands of people of African descent fled the most brutal forms of economic, racial, and violent oppression in the U.S. South and sought refuge in South Bend, Indiana. White people did not warmly welcomed them to their new homes. African-American people were largely only allowed to live in the city's west side. With factory jobs luring more and more African-American people from the U.S. South, as well as people from Eastern Europe, the city needed lots of new housing, and fast. Quickly produced, low-quality factory homes were one of the few choices for most African Americans. A lot of people were only able to make shacks out of old piano boxes. As the city grew and evolved, some white neighborhoods like Sunnymead maintained white racial exclusivity by adding restrictions onto deeds that homes only be sold to other white people. In other neighborhoods, less overt but equally effective pressures thwarted African-American home ownership well into the 20th and 21st centuries. Today, we hear from a number of South Bend citizens who were simply trying to find a place to live. First, Willie Mae Butts. Was that difficult, finding a place? Oh, yeah, because it was everything. They wouldn't even let you have nothing decent over here. You were directed to the the west side of South Bend? The west side of South Bend, and there was nothing there. We th- I saw a house in the, in the newspaper, how you know how they put homes in it, and, and how much it cost, and what it was in, and it was everything we wanted, and in the price range, everything. And I tried to get it, and I couldn't get it. Why was that? Because of my color. And, and I went to see it. I went to see the house, and um, it's over here on Colfax. And I went to see it, and I look at that house every time I pass there. I got out the car. He told me to meet him at the house, and I got there. And when I got there, that makes me sick still now that you think about it. When I got there and I got out the car and I went in, and he said, Oh, are you the lady that called from you, Mrs. Butts? And I said, Yes, I am. So he said, well, 
I have second thoughts about it. He said, I have different thoughts. I have, I have to get the okay of the people in this neighborhood because um, the neighborhood has not been opened up to blacks. No one blacks to color. That hurt me to my heart. And um, we had some friends uh, that said they would buy it for us. These are white friends? White friends. They really were in it. In it. They could do it without any problem. That was not uncommon. No, no. And on top of that, we went other places that we wasn't didn't know that we couldn't get in. Like down on Sunnyside, they had we found a nice little house down there, and we couldn't get in there. What was Bex Lake like? Oh gosh, no street lights, no walk, no no, no sidewalks for the children to walk on, and the streets may have just enough to go down the street with one car. You know, maybe a couple of cars, but most of the streets were dirt. The majority of them were dirt roads, like, like a hard dirt, you know, that you go through, because you get a lot of dust. There were no sewers out there either. Then. There were no sewers or nothing. What were the homes like? Well, they had, uh, when I first went out there, we first went out there, they had those homes that they had out there for the their war, you know, when they put those houses. George McCulloch. I used to live in those. Uh, Charles Black and I and several of the other guys, we lived in the Black projects. Um, Were those World War II projects? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had pot belly stoves. Yeah. And what we would do is uh, in the evening, in the wintertime, we would all sit around the stove, get warm, we'd run and get in the bed. And we'd wake up in the morning, would be, it would be cold and ice would have formed around the baseboard of the uh, room because when the pot belly stove was on, the brick would sweat. Oh, yeah. And then at night, when the fire died down, the ice along the bottom of the floor that was concrete would freeze. And, you know, those are the kind of conditions we live in. Maurice Roberts. I remember when they filled it, first filled it in, they had these, uh, a lot of black people that took piano boxes and made a home and lived in just little kind of little huts that lived out there on the on the uh, backspace part. Piano boxes. Can you describe these these homes? It's an upright piano box. Must be about five foot tall, six foot tall, and about seven or eight foot long. And I forget now the width, but they could put two of these together. They they these some of these boxes they could some way. I've been into one of those homes, and one that I remember had a day bed. A stove, what they cook and, he- and heated by, and a wash bowl, and that was all that was in there. And that originally Bex Lake had a lot of these types of. Homes? I don't say a lot of them, but there was some out there. No, I don't say it's a lot, but there was out there. What about housing here in South Bend? What was your experience with buying a house? Well, my experience with buying a house, we first house I bought back in the 40s had a very difficult time finding a place that in the neighborhood that I wanted that they would accept me. In fact, it is, I found a house in Mishawaka that I liked, and we were talking about it, and we were giving the kind of remarks that if you buy it, it's burnt down. So you were threatened? Yes. Um, where did you where'd you buy your first house then? My first house I bought was on 80th Street. I bought a house there, 
And uh, my first house, my payments per month were, I think it was $17 a month. <laughs> In some months, $17 was hard to come by. <laughs> Charlotte Huddleston. I mean, blacks lived in certain areas, just certain areas, no matter what. And it, and there was it wasn't even well of course Ranger didn't even exist, but uh, Mishawaka, no, Weston. I was very very. I knew two black families in Mishawaka that went to Mishawaka High School, and I dated a guy from there, and that's why I know. And they were the only ones there, and it and, and they seemed comfortable, but I think it's because they were so in so small numbers. Margaret and Leroy Cobb. As far as housing, no. Uh... At that time, you couldn't move anywhere or buy anywhere in the state, I mean, in the city. Even you know, our doctor. Right. They're right. Even in our fact, doctor. I had a house down on O'Brien, which it was we... All white. Right, right. It's still white there. And that was in 19... Yeah. Zilly was... Zilly uh, was... 59. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. 1959. 59. Right. We went down there to see no, this we house. we called first. Though. Yeah. We saw the for sale sign and we right. called. And she told us we could come and look at her. Right. But when we went, she didn't know we were black. Mm -hmm. So she said to us, right, point blank, oh, I, I, I didn't realize, you know, I, I didn't realize uh, if I'd done this, my neighbors would tire and grab me. Those were her right. exact words. Right. And so right. we said, uh, well, uh, you know, you mean to tell me that you wouldn't sell the house to us? We have the money. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I, Jack Reed. Housing was a big problem. I can remember when I was on the fire department in 1960 that I had called uh, a realtor about a house on Blaine Street. I'll never forget it. And um, he said, it's a very lovely brick home, Mr. Reed. Um, I'll be more than happy to talk to you about it. Uh, when can we get together and talk? And I told him what day I'd be at the fire station. And his last words were, and I'll never forget the way he said it. He said, maybe there's something I ought to tell you. I said, what's that, sir? There's a colored family that lives a couple of doors down. And I said, sir, I don't know that that would be a problem for me. Um, I like to think that I'm not prejudiced. I don't have a problem with that. He said, okay, I just thought I'd let you know that. So, of course, when he came to the fire station two days later, and I made it my business to stay upstairs, and I had shared this with the other firefighters, and um, when I came, when he called me, Mr. Jack, there's someone here to see when I came downstairs, man, I'm telling you. And I took him upstairs, and he was just offering some calling. He was just nervous all the time that we talked. And, of course, I didn't rub it in or anything and treat him just like I would anyone else. But I just never forget the way he said it. Something I'll let you know, there's a colored family. And this was a realtor. Yeah. You know, that was back in the 60s. That's Blaine. Yeah. I'm trying to think where. Um, is Blaine off? Which was It's off Lincoln. I think it's off Lincoln. Very beautiful homes back there at that yeah. time. It's mm -hmm. uh, deteriorated considerably since then, but it was a very beautiful area. Audrey and Dr. Bernard Wagner. Uh, what time I talked to you? You mentioned Mrs. Leahy. Oh, yes. Oh. Mrs. Leahy and her whole family were patients of Bernie's, and she was a real estate broker. She knew we were looking for a house, and she was trying to help us. She at least 
uh, was the only one I knew of the real estate agent who would ask how? people, are you willing to sell to blacks? You Some of them com- were. Well, you remember what company she worked for? She worked for, for herself. She, for herself. Okay. Yeah. So Mrs. Leahy, it was like serendipity. <laughs> Mrs. Leahy was able to do the uh, closing for us and get us a loan because, you know, the banks wouldn't The banks wouldn't lend any money. Unless you had 50%. Well, anyway, Mrs. Mrs. Leahy got uh, the financing for us through Sobieski. Because Sobieski was... Bank. They loaned you the money. Sobieski was... That's Polish. And she was big in the Polish community. She was like... Because I'll tell you, other banks would require 50%. In fact, if I can say this, when we were buying the property... He had to get an intermediary to buy the property. I had he to get, knew I had he to get knew a white person. person from Mr. Walker to buy the property. The lady that owned the property, I knew her. She wanted to sell. She wanted to sell to me because because she worked for a doctor here in town. I won't call the doctor's name. So she knew me. But she was afraid that. of the repercussions. She said, if I sell that property to you, my friends are going to cut me cold. So we got an intermediary. And then he had to get the variance for the, for the size of the yeah. What is an intermediary? Someone had to the, buy the property for you? I had to you? get a white person to, to buy, buy the property. To buy the property. Naturally, that raises the price. So it cost me $1,000 to get this guy. He made $1,000 just by buying the property and then signing it, and then over, signed to it over to him. Because he was white, he made $1,000. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway. At least he was willing to do it. Did Mrs. Leahy ever have any problems? Uh, oh, when she oh, bought, yes. when, when she sold Dr. Street's house. When she sold Dr. Street's house. She told us uh, that uh, she would get phone calls in the All middle of the night. night. Somebody put a black cat on her. Called her a nigger lover. On her porch. Not only put it on her porch, they opened her storm door. Her storm door and put the, a cat. With the cat alive? Right, or yeah. Uh, yeah, a kitten, really. Okay. A black kitten in behind the storm door on her regular door. So there were repercussions about people. Oh, she had At that time, but that didn't yes. seem to bother her. That didn't bother her at all. Margaret and Leroy Cobb. What was the purpose of this organization? To secure homes, better homes in South Bend, because we had bought the land out here. We had lots out here, 26 lots we secured. And we had, we were divided up among 26 people. And this was to have these homes built because at that time we encountered so much problem about having, having a home built, blacks and finance. When we finally bought the land and we got a lawyer and it took us, well, actually we, we went in in June of 50, right when it first started first started the corporation. We never moved in until November 1st of 1953. It took us that long. We encountered all kinds of problems because first we had to have our utilities ran over on the next street. We had to try to find the contractors. We had a heck of a time trying to find a contractor to uh, bill for us. We run into opposition for financing. We couldn't get one bank to finance the 26 of us. We had to divide it up between, I think there was about six banks, fifty-one fifty a week, I mean a month. That's what our payment was, right? Right. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yeah, 20 year mortgage. We paid it off in 17. Right. Yeah. So once you moved out here, your area was on Elmer Street was just primarily made of um, black families who bought. No, no, land, now, no. The only, when you say that, just the 17 and 1800 block, everything else was white. That was it. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Just those two blocks, right. Mm -hmm. So you had two blocks in the uh, middle of a uh, white neighborhood? Right, yeah. right, right. Well, what kind of problems did that cause? <laughs> they said you threatened letters. Oh yes, to our lawyer. Oh, he yes. brought it to the meeting and he read oh, it, yes. and it was very, very derogatory, oh, yes. ugly letter. Oh yes, they had me scared because I was really young and <laughs> my husband worked nights and, and I said, oh my God, I'm scared. I hit by myself, you know, because we just moved out here and and to get something threatening like that, you know, mm -hmm. it was very upsetting and. I just had the two little, my two uh, oldest kids, and, and I tell you, it, uh, they put us through some horrors. I tell you, it was bad. It was bad. And they sent this letter. You don't even want to know what the letter said. Tell them what said. What the letter said. It just said, you niggas better stay in your place. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what it said. I was telling my husband about that this morning. I, I remember it just like it was this morning. Uh, and, and it was so scary because at that time we didn't have any streets. It was just mud. Uh, we didn't have any sidewalks. Just a new home, and and you had to put in your own uh, landscaping and everything. And, and us being out here in the middle <laughs> of this white neighborhood, just twenty six families. Tom Singer. There was uh, something called the Citizens Fair Housing Committee, and that was a group, uh, maybe a dozen at most, uh, uh, who was interested in finding, uh, exploring the difficulties that African Americans had in getting housing. And then we uh, uh, ultimately worked toward the passage of a fair housing ordinance. There was one program, I think it was at Notre Dame, where uh, People who've been victims of discrimination actually came and gave testimony to a group. And the South Bend Tribune then uh, took at least six of those and on the editorial page printed their testimony, which is virtually unheard of. Um, and that would have been either 63 or 64. It, I think the thing that was interesting to me was that uh, when we organized the Citizens Fair Housing Committee, I thought that it would be more appropriate to have an African-American as the president. And the people on that committee did not want that. They didn't think that was, at that time, was, would be the most effective way. At that time, they thought uh, a white person would be more effective. Since the problem was the white community as opposed to the black community. The black community couldn't buy the housing but because of, because of white attitudes. Barbara Brandy. Were you aware of campaigns here to uh, get like uh, fair housing ordinances and fair employment practices? They were slow in coming because when my husband, he's my ex now, when we looked for a home, we wanted to get into a good school neighborhood because by at that time they had neighborhood schools 
And it took us two years to find a neighborhood that would accept us. Now that would be when did you move out there? We moved out there we the week after the moon walk. We signed the papers for the house and that was what sixty sixty nine. Mm-hmm. That was in sixty nine. Because okay. we were looking at homes that we spotted that home the night that they walked on the moon. Okay. That's when we spotted so the home. You've been looking for almost two and a half months. Before that. Before that. And did you And we'd problem? go to realtors okay. and they would tell us, Well, we have a bid on that home. And then we'd notice that the sign was still up. And my husband would get in touch and well, they have a bid on the home. That's why it's still up. Well, then, why don't you put a soul sign on it? And if it's not sold, take the soul sign off. That's what my husband would tell them. And uh, I guess they didn't like it because he knew what the ins and outs were. You know, they probably figured, well, he's one of these smart yeah. inwards. Yeah. <laughs> Ralph Miles. I've heard this from many African Americans that there were certain areas of South Bend, ghetto areas, that if you came to South Bend, this is the area you were shown, and you weren't shown any homes anywhere else. Yeah, that's true. Because there was um, Alonzo Watson was a broker back then. Mm-hmm. And a lot of black folks did not really care that much for Mr. Watson because he didn't really make an effort to show you houses in the white sections of town. But that was because he had to make a living for his family. And why waste his time showing you a house in an all-white neighborhood where he'd know the chances of you getting that house was very slim. So I can understand why he did show you, but he did honestly try to show you the best houses in the black area. He didn't show you the raggediest one, but he did what he could do because only recently, and that was back in the 80s, later part of the 80s, that housing really opened up in a great degree here. But it's, even to this day, there are still some places that blacks cannot live. Really? Where would that be? Some of your upper suburbs, you have to pay twice as much to live there. You have some all-white suburbs that exist right now that they got Someone on that says you cannot sell your house to anyone that has an ethnic background. It has to be a white or something like that. Glenda Ray Hernandez. I mean, we're still today fighting those battles. I'm, I'm on the Human Rights Commission now, so I know that there's all kinds of housing discrimination that still goes on. In South Bend today? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not surprised, but for the tape. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I mean, it's very subtle. Um, People can be treated nicely, but told there's nothing available right now. They can't give you a loan on that, and they they come up with all kinds of reasons. So, you know, it's it's still happening. Is it based on the neighborhoods, or...? Probably largely, yeah. I mean, I, I do have white friends who've been said, who've said that, you know, they wanted to look at a a certain neighborhood and realtors said, well, you don't want to go there. Well, that's theory. That's illegal. But it goes on. 
Well, of course, if you're moving to the city from a different area of the country, they they show you Granger. Yeah, yeah. They don't Federico Rodriguez. So it's the Dodd farm that provided housing for yourself and all the other <laughs> employees. The only thing you had going through my house was electricity. Mm-hmm. You know, because the, the water was well pumped. Mm-hmm. And it was one pump full of old iron. Uh, you know, we lived off of buckets of water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> water. Cantaros. You know what a cantaro mm-hmm. you know, So that's, uh, yeah, the only thing we had was electricity. A lot of our gas. Like we're cooking the stoves with uh, the uh, propane, mm-hmm. those big long mm-hmm. tanks. Mm-hmm. They used to burn, deliver them, mm-hmm. like maybe once or twice a week. It was like maybe 15 homes total, because over here in the farm where we gathered to go to work, they also had homes over there. Yeah. And each home had two or three families, you know, and with kids. And that's where they would set up maybe tents, mm-hmm. you know, for extra people that didn't have somewhere to live, but they were working there. But yeah, we had a lot of people that worked there. And in fact, uh, like uh, Mathis had about maybe three, four hundred people. Uh, Martin's had the most, they had about eight hundred people. He had little communities set up. Slanders used to have, you know, tents or rent or homes from uh, Mayflower Row all the way to Peach Row. Was there a huge difference between, the, so, so where did the Dodd family live? They lived in that tree. <laughs> <laughs> South Bend's Own Words was created by Kevin Tin Marsh and me, George Garner. This episode was produced by Donald Britton from the Ernestine M. Racklin School of the Arts at IU South Bend and by me through the Civil Rights Heritage Center. Visit us and learn how IU South Bend students inspired the transformation of a once segregated South Bend swimming pool. We give guided tours and offer public events that show how the history of oppression echoes through this city today. See and hear more history, plan your visit, or share your thoughts about this episode, all at crhc.iusb.edu.